0: Welcome to the 22nd episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we talk about murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes.
1: And I am Cindy. This week's episode takes us into a drug-addled love triangle that ends in a gruesome murder. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we discussed Christina Riggs, the depraved mother who killed her own children.
0: Fair warning, our show can be extremely horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, be forewarned, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but sometimes we will make jokes and laugh during our podcast. For more information and links
1: to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasntmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and give us a five-star rating. While you're there, leave us a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. And if you like our show, please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash itwasntmepod. We appreciate our Patreon supporters more than words can express. Thank you so very much. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, Cindy, how's it going? It's going really well. How are you? I'm pretty well, thanks. Uh, it's been a long week, and I'm glad it's over. Yes, it's been a very long week. I'm very tired. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. Oh, hey, just... hey, we're podcasting. It couldn't be better today, right? Correct. That is very true. <laughs>
1: All right, so I have some news. We received a call from someone who reached out to us pertaining to our very first episode about Tiffany
0: Sabourin. Really? Okay, yes. so let me tell you that if you haven't listened to our first episode, um, that was about 13-year-old Tiffany Saboren who was murdered, um, and she was murdered in St. Charles County which where I lived at the time, and it really rocked our community. I remember it. I knew a lot of people who were personally affected by it, and I had a lot of questions during that first episode about things, and the listener called and clarified some questions I had regarding some rumors that I would heard. Um, about how Tiffany was found, and um, the caller did confirm those rumors. So um, we're going to let you hear what she said.
1: I started listening to your podcast because I worked on the case with the prosecution that dealt with Tiffany Saboren's murder, and she was field-dressed like a deer. The force that it took to take her head off was multiple, multiple times And looking at the photos, you could tell that the person had never, ever done anything like that before. And it was absolutely as horrific
0: as you could possibly imagine dying. So thank you so much for calling in. This week's murder echoes the murder of Tiffany in many ways, which might be the reason why I chose it. Um, I keep coming back to the similarities between the two which I'll highlight at the end of the of the episode. First I'm going to start this week's murder off by telling you about one not one not two but three strange 911 calls. These calls um, were made on Easter Sunday April 1st 2018. The first call came in fairly early in the morning it was still probably about five five thirty in the morning Something like that. To a caller who claimed that he saw a bloody woman walking down the street carrying a severed head. Police responded. Yes. A severed head. A severed head. Okay. Police get it. Now, this is Easter Sunday. It's April 1st. It's Easter Sunday, April Fool's Day. So, police are like, yeah, whatever. Oh, I bet they were. They probably... Oh, no. But they still responded. So, they were driving. This happened in uh, Mercer County, West Virginia. So, they're, you know, they're on patrol. They're out there. They're, you know, just... Happening to look for a, a bloody woman carrying a severed head. They have a horrible, horrible heroin problem in West Virginia. Heroin, horrible. yes. Opio- opioids in general. And we're going to get to that because that has a huge, it's its huge in the story. Drugs. Okay. Definitely. Now, police responded to the call by driving through the area. And while they were looking for the woman, another 911 call came in. This caller said that a strange, bloody woman was in his driveway and would not leave. He's like... You have to get out of my driveway. Look, I'll give you a ride. I'll take you where you want to go. But this lady was extremely agitated and she refused to leave. So he's like, dude, I'm calling the police. Did she have the head with her? She did not have a head with her, but she was bloody. She had on a glove and she was bloody. And, you know, in West Virginia, there is a lot of woods in West Virginia. Yes. When she found out that he was calling the police, she took off into the woods. Police arrive. They go to the second home. They're talking to the caller. They're taking a report. And all of a sudden... This bloody woman comes out of the woods. So they didn't even have to look for her. She just showed up. Now, <laughs> bless her heart. According to the deputy who was there, Deputy Connor, she was covered in blood wearing a glove on her left hand and she appeared to, oh, she also had a pocket knife in her right hand pocket. She was combative and appeared to be inebriated. When police asked her why she was covered in blood, she said, oh yeah, uh, I was throwing through a glass door. And they're like, well, who did it? She would not say. Please quickly identify this woman as Rowena w- Mills, a 43-year-old woman from rural. I hate that word, rural. I don't even know to say it.
1: I I can. That's a word that I do not say well.
0: Rural Retreat, Virginia. Now she worked in the area of oh, Lorena, Lorena, West Virginia, Princeton, West Virginia, somewhere in that area. She was an exotic dancer. She was a stripper at. Um, Some people call it a gentleman's club, but I found an article by this, uh, written by an editor of a a newspaper. She said that is not a gentleman's club. (laughs) She's like, I'm going to call it what it is and say it's a strip club. So I'm going to follow this editor's, uh, Samantha Perry is her name, and call it a strip club. It's called Southern Exposure. Now, (laughs) Rowena was combative, and I'm sure that police ran her record like all good police officers do. As well as nosy podcasters. So I ran her record. Oh, you did? I did. I, and, and you know, it's, I didn't have a whole lot of time to do this. So I just looked at rural, rural, rural retreat, Virginia, and she did have a number of previous arrests and she s- ended up serving two years in the penitentiary. She had numerous run-ins with the law. And these are just the ones that I found from this area. So I don't know if she has more. On April 3rd, 2011, she was arrested and charged with indecent exposure, public swearing, and intoxication. Uh-oh, we better be careful. Right. Yeah. <laughs> she got into a fight. She resisted arrest with the Popo and got an additional charge of assault and battery on an LEO. Now, this charge was later admitted a couple of years later. They later amended it to malicious wounding of LEO. Now, my question is, what the hell is the difference assault versus malicious wounding?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, malicious is like
0: clawing your face. Biting yes, someone. and like
1: purposely, I think of if something is malicious, they are meaning to be.
0: So, what's like the difference that? between assaulting? I mean, malicious is a lower, a lesser charge. So, I'm just curious. I don't Maybe know. Maybe it was a plea deal. It it could have been. It was definitely a plea deal because she did get it knocked down. Um, she was sentenced to two years in the penitentiary, which they suspended to two years probation and a fine. She was again arrested on seven twenty seven two thousand eleven for misdemeanor offender escape without. Violence and she was put on probation for six months in order to pay a fine. Now, misdemeanor offender escape. Would that mean maybe she got pulled over for a misdemeanor and then she ran. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking.
1: What, what did we call that here?
0: I don't know. Fleeing the scene or eluding police officers. Uh, Yeah. Fleeing and eluding or something like that. So that's a possibility. What that could have been, I'm not sure. Now on September 6, 2011, she was again jailed and fined. um, She was jailed for 10 days and fined for indecent exposure. She like to show her tatas or something. That'll get that'll put you in jail unless you're at Southern Exposure, right? Ex-posure. And even and even then, you I don't know. if West Virginia makes you cover your nipples or not? Oh, they might. I don't know. Some states make you cover your nipples or yes. wear a bikini or something. All right. On on May 5th, 2015, she was arrested for giving, providing false identification to an LEO and spent 20 days in jail. And then on February 23rd, 2017, she was arrested for driving under a revoked suspended license. But then later she was found not guilty of that. So she must have paid her fine or whatnot. So that's what I could find on her. Obviously, she was combative whenever she was around law enforcement, and it was no different this time. She did kind of fight them a little bit. She's this bloody woman on someone else's property. She refuses to leave. The police are called. The police get there. They're questioning her. She turns combative, and so they arrested her. Now, while she's in the backseat of the car, she's raving, and she's screaming. She's screaming repeatedly that she needs to finish her job, and that the police need to take her back and let her get her heads. <laughs> right heads more than one multiple. Yes, that's what she said oh shit okay so they take her to the jail and while they're booking her or whatever she she says to them i've already got one body you guys ain't nothing you know the police thinking of her is just this crazy raving mad woman um but then they get a third 911 call this is later in the afternoon and the call comes in from samantha muncie She called to report that she stopped by to check on her son, her 29-year-old son, Bo White. He hadn't been answering his phone. She stopped by to check on him, and she found that he was murdered, that he was missing his head. Oh, no. Yes, so here we have a lady who's walking down the street, bloody, with a head in her hand. We arrest her later on, and she was bloody. Um, She the police just assumed she had been thrown through a glass window, and whatnot. Now they know there's a boy, a, a boy, a, a man with his head missing. Well, it was likely her who took his head. Right. That she's the number one suspect at this point. Okay. Um, now at trial, and we're going to be kind of jumping around because I got a lot of this information from trial, from the trial documents. The deputy who, who went and who was the first on the scene, I'm guessing, he said that he found a glove near Bo White's decapitated body and it matched the glove that Mills was wearing earlier that day when she had been taken into custody by another deputy. Missing head and the missing glove. I mean, I would say it was her, wouldn't you? Yes. Now I want to talk a little bit about Bo White, the victim. He was 29 years old when he um, was murdered. And at trial, the prosecuting attorney kind of described him as sickly and intro- a sickly introverted boy who was 29 years old and pa- played with Star Wars figures. I'm not sure how much of that is true. I think he just wanted to paint Bo White as, as, you know, being very vulnerable, which I do believe that Bo White was. But he was a man, not a boy.
1: Right. I mean, if there's not anything else that states that he was, uh, his uh, mental capacity was diminished or something of that nature, then that is kind of insulting to the family, to him. Right. To say, I mean, so what he plays with Star Wars figures. Lots of people, grown men do. My grown man does not. But <laughs> yes.
0: Well, my saying. grown man plays with baseball cards. Okay? <laughs> I mean, you know, if you've got some uh, Star Wars figures that are collectibles, yeah, you're going to look through them and figure out what they're worth or whatever. That's a good point. Now, he did live alone. I mean, he was a grown man. He had his own place. He had uh, money. He was, um, thanks to a disability check. So... Um, his friends and family described him as a loving son, a loving brother and friend, and a miracle child. When he was 15 years old, he fought for his life um, through a rare kidney transplant. He is survived by his loving mother, Sam, two sisters whom he was very, very close to. His grandmothers on both sides, numerous aunts, uncles, and cousins, and a best friend who lives in Virginia. Now they didn't mention his daddy. His daddy's still alive. Who? Yeah, he gets the daddy award of the year.
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah,
0: um, Bo's celebration of life services were on Saturday, April seventh, twenty eighteen, only a week after his Grizzly murder. That
1: was pretty quick.
0: Pretty quick. I yes. mean, for a
1: murder investigation for them to release the body and that sort of thing. A lot of sometimes that takes a lot longer.
0: Yes. Okay. According to the Associated Press, forensic pathologists testified at Mill's trial saying that Bo White died from multiple sharp force injuries he had 13 stab wounds to the chest he had two to the neck two to his abdomen and one in the back and there when they found his head there were 37 wounds on his head well jesus christ yeah it was pretty Holy grisly. Crap.
1: i mean how did she subdue this he was a man he was 29 he was a 29 year old man how how was she able does it say how she sub, was able to subdue him
0: Okay, well, we're going to get to that in a little bit because that leaves re- oh, that does um, come up in the, on the defense. Okay, All So, right. you know, that's what the defense asked. Now, according to our prosecution, Beau White is sickly, and he was quite thin, kind of not, uh, not a big man. You know, you can tell that he had some health issues. Okay, so, so maybe he was just weak. Um, and it could be. Okay. He was also on um, some major medication for his disability. So that can also render one a little bit weak.
1: Yes, this is true.
0: Or possibly it wasn't her. So we're going to we're going to figure that out. Oh, okay. okay. Now there is a lot of evidence against Mills. They had been busy that whole week. They had been g- busy gathering up evidence against her and it did not look good for her at all. So they found the bloody glove near White's body which matched the bloody glove she was wearing when she was arrested. She had a cut on her hand that looked like a slice from a knife. She was found in possession of White's medication which he had just gotten his medication. Also a large amount of cash and authorities believed that that cash belonged to Bo White because he had just gotten his disability check.
1: Okay, now his medication, does it outline what medication she was in possession of?
0: Whatever it was, it's something that all the druggies wanted because he is a very popular guy like certain times of the month. Oh, Mm -hmm. oh. Now numerous texts, they found numerous texts to friends after the murder and one of them said, let's party, which... You know, they painted that as, oh, look, I've got all this money and I've got this these drugs. Let's let's go party. Now, she also contacted the help, requested the help of um, a man with the last name Fleming. And I'm going to go into more details on this one later because he actually testifies. She was the last person to have seen been seen with Bo White. There's also text messages between him and her saying, um, you know, I'll be over there in a little while. And that was around 1035.
1: OK, so he was not a stranger. No, to her. he
0: was not a stranger to her.
1: Okay, so this is possibly, um, what do you say, uh, a crime of opportunity? Is that?
0: Yes, I would say that. Okay. Um, and in addition, one of the five kitchen knives used to stab Bo was found in her car. She's not very bright, is she? Well, she was inebriated or she was on something at this point. So, yeah, no, she wasn't. But now you ask, how did she meet someone? How did Bo White meet someone like Rowena Mills? It wouldn't seem like they would run in the same circles. No, and, there was an age gap. Right. But believe it or not, he met, through, met her through his father, James. And I'm going to call him Jimmy because he went by Jimmy. Through James White.
1: Oh, okay. So here's where Daddy of the Year Daddy comes in. Daddy of the Year
0: comes in. So Daddy of the Year is an addict. He's, um, any anything gets on, Dilaudid, um, heroin. Crap. Yeah, like, I, I'm going to go into detail about, he he actually said at one point that he could do 25 to 30 Dilaudids a day, but to avoid being dope sick, uh, and I got this from the editor, the, that article from that Samantha Perry. She said to avoid being dope sick, he just needed four or five a day. Holy crap. Have you ever had Dilaudid? Um, I have one time when, I had a real, yes, one time. It got rid of the pain. Nothing else would.
1: Right. It's super strong. It's like stronger than morphine. And if you can go into withdrawals for Dilaudid, like the next day, because I had surgery. They gave me Dilaudid. The next day, and they gave me, okay, I had surgery. Then some, I thought I pulled my stitches or whatever. So I went to the emergency room. I was in a lot of pain. They gave me the Dilaudid. I went home the next day. I had the worst migraine ever. I thought I was going to have to go back to the emergency room because my head hurt so bad. Well, I went, I guess I was at Target, went to the pharmacy, spoke to the pharmacist, and she said, that sounds like withdrawals.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And I don't know, I mean, and it was like a pharmacist that I, I frequent there a lot, so they know my medications. They know that this isn't something, you know, they knew I'd had surgery, yada, yada, yada. But I'm like, they and they said they probably gave me a little too much because of the pain I was in. And then the next day, it was the... I mean, I, it, it was awful. I'm like, don't give me too much of that crap, right?
0: I know. remember the one when I had it, I actually had my son drive me, my youngest son drive me to the ER with so much pain. I had already taken like ibuprofen, 800 milligram ibuprofen. I had taken my, um, I had some oxycodone or something. Nothing got rid of that pain. And I thought I was going to die. I thought, you know, something's wrong. So he took me to the ER ER the triage nurse took my blood pressure and they sent me right back immediately like apparently my blood pressure was so high they were afraid I was gonna have a heart attack and they gave me Dilaudid to bring down the pain so that so my much pain, blood but... pressure came down I don't recall having any kind of withdrawals the next day because I, I had like a major kidney stone mm. and so I was like drugged up anyway but I don't know I never had like Withdrawal symptoms from any of that stuff when I get kidney stones. So
1: I mean, I don't know that. I mean, and that's not the only time. That was the first time I ever had it, you know, because I had the pancreas issues, and that was part of it. So I, I mean, I don't know. I didn't ever have that kind of reaction before. It could have just been I had a migraine the next day. I don't know, but that's some. The point is, is that's some strong shit.
0: That's some strong shit. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it was actually now now check this out father of the year right so it comes out in testimony and through police um, interrogation that Bo white's father james white was actually the first person to find Bo's body he actually went over to his son's house easter sunday to try to get some drugs from his son or money or something. And he saw the body. Now he told police I didn't go there. And then later the police are like, we know you were there. What? And then he admits, yes, I saw the body. It was missing a head and I thought my son was playing a April Fool's prank on me. All right? No, you didn't. He didn't call. Okay, so he, it was actually James White who found the body. He didn't call authorities. He testified during the trial that he found his son's decapitated body and thought a prank was being played on him. Now this, the prosecuting attorney said that that Jimmy was, wasn't acting like a rational person when he found his son's body. He was acting like a drug addict. He didn't want to face it, the prosecutor said. He wanted to get high. That's what junkies do. And that's how they deal with life or don't deal with it. So James White um, had previously been a long haul trucker until he lost everything he had after becoming addicted to painkillers. Yeah, that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. In 95 or 96, when he was still a trucker, he met Rowena Mills at the Southern Exposure Strip Club in um, a little town in West Virginia they were both involved in the same drug subculture and they became lovers. James White um, also acknowledged that four or five years before the murder he had a falling out with his son because he said that his son was trying to sleep with Mills. Now he indicated all of that was water under the bridge. He also testified that he, um, his son Mills, and another lady named Mandy were together on the day before Bo White's death. He said that Mills took Bo White home on Saturday evening and then the last time he spoke to his son was around 11 30 p.m. that night. So according to his testimony the next day, April 1st, he started calling his son, and after receiving no answer, he went to check on him.
1: Probably more like to go check on that medication he was taking. Right,
0: right. Now, on the stand, he testified, I walked in through his living room to the bedroom. I saw what appeared to be someone laying on the floor. I nudged him with my boot and realized there was nothing from the neck up white said he thought it was an april fool's prank and he left the house he said he didn't have a cell phone so he couldn't call authorities now this um yeah this just happened 2018 he didn't have a cell phone which for junkie i could imagine but he said he'd have been calling his son so who has landlines anymore Right. So why didn't
1: he just call the police from the line he'd been trying to call his son from?
0: Right. Whatever the case, he said he didn't have a cell phone.
1: Or run next door Mm -hmm. and go, oh my God, I just found somebody without a head and called nine one one. Right.
0: Now he claims, oh, I didn't have a cell phone to call. But then shortly thereafter, he called a friend to let him know the bloody discovery. Now this friend knew a woman who was friends with Bo White's mother. So Bo White's mom and Jimmy White were no longer, like they weren't together.
1: Right. Okay.
0: So she, so she's not even running in that circle. Like, like Bo's mom doesn't run in that circle, but the she guy got out. right, she got out. The guy that um Jimmy White called, and this is kind of confusing, but Jimmy White is Bo's dad. He found his son's body, hey. so he doesn't call authorities, but he calls this other guy. He's like, "Yeah, I just saw my son dead. You know, his head's missing." Blah, blah blah. Well, this guy hangs up. He's like, "Oh, that sounds weird." So he calls one of his friends, who happens to be a friend of Bo's mom. So he calls this lady. He's like, "Yeah, Bo's dad just called and said Bo's dead." So then the lady hangs up. And calls Bo's mom. So it's kind of like playing what's, what's that phone? What's that game call? Like,
1: telephone.
0: Telephone, where one person calls the other. And so Bo's mom starts calling his house. It's like a phone tree. Right? She starts, she starts calling his house and there are no answers. And so she's like, okay, I need to write over there. She kind of knew. He's not answering. He always answers. Something so wasn't right. Something's not right. And now, so you know, to face this nightmare. So she goes over to her son's house. Now, before I get to her going over there, I want to just say that James White said that he needed to shoot up. That's why he didn't call anyone so he went looking for drugs he said that he also said that he initially lied to police about going to his son's house because you know he didn't want to get involved with the police and he also didn't want to admit to visiting the house and seeing the body until after a couple different interviews so he lied to the police at first
1: so he was slap out of his mind right like whether it was he was already high or that he was just so jones in for the you know the drugs that he just was like no i mean
0: you know people people sell their children for their next high. Right. This is not surprising to me.
1: No, this is... I mean, it's unfortunate. It's sad. It's
0: very sad. It's extremely sad. Now, the mom ends up, well, let me just finish this. According to testimony from several people after his son was killed, Jimmy White was vigorously searching for drugs to get his fix. So he was like going through his son's stuff, searching through his pants pockets. He was looking for drugs and money. And of course, there, were not- there was nothing there because all the money and the drugs were found on Rowena Mills.
1: Do you think that he even really understood or comprehended that, that was like that his son was dead or was he just i mean what do you think he could have possibly been just so shot out that he couldn't it's possible comprehend it yes
0: it's definitely possible um what i will say is that this is a defense attorney's dream right here this man right yes because rowena mills was who is his girlfriend was sleeping with his son and so it was kind of like a crime of passion is what what, is what the defense attorney is going to say
1: Okay, but the dad didn't do it,
0: or did he? Or did he? (laughs) Okay, so under cross-examination by the defense attorney, and his name's Bell, I didn't get his first name, but he attempted to create reasonable doubt by casting Jimmy White as the murderer. Like I just said, he hammered White on Mills's sexual relationship with Beau White and questioned him fiercely about why he didn't contact police when he first found his son's body. He says, "You, your son was lying there in blood with his with no head in his own bedroom, and you expect us to believe you thought he was playing a joke on you?" Bell also noted what that it took James White twenty years to get Rowena, and then she started going out with his son. James White said, she was not sleeping with my son. And Belle said, you would be upset about that, wouldn't you?
1: What really... I mean, if I walked in my house and I saw a scene like that, I wouldn't... The first thing in my mind, first off, I wouldn't even think that today's April Fool's Day. And was his son that kind of practical joker like that? So that that would have been something? I mean, that doesn't make sense to me for him to say that. So, I don't know. I mean... Did he try right. to, like, use that as an excuse? on so my, my kid's a practical joker. This is something he would have done.
0: Yeah, I didn't see that anywhere. I didn't see any kind of mention of, of Bo White being practical joker. I really couldn't find a whole lot about the victim at all, except for, you know, what I read in his, his legacy and his obituary. I, I found nothing negative about this young man at all. At all. Because it wasn't there. Yeah. Um, now, during the testimony, there was a friend of Rowena Mills who testified And this guy was a Navy veteran. He served in the Navy for 20 years. He served in Vietnam. And he testified that he came to know Mills when she took care of him. And these are in quotation marks. She took care of him for a couple of weeks. I bet she did. Yeah. So he said that he had health issues and she would come and go. And he testified that she was at his house the Friday before it happened he said that she cleaned his house she stayed the night with him um she left at noon around noon on saturday he said that she wound up that night coming over she wanted gasoline and a chainsaw he said she was agitated she was very determined to do something and she had a bleeding cut on her hand He's like, I didn't ask her about it because she was agitated. He said when she wanted the chainsaw and gasoline, she said she was having a bonfire. Now, Fleming continued, I gave her gasoline, but not a chainsaw. He stated, I don't allow my tools to leave the property. Investigators did find 10 gallons of gasoline in her car. Her car was out of gas. She needed gas.
1: Oh, okay. Okay,
0: so I don't think she was going to burn anything, or I don't know if she was or not, but she also didn't have any gas in her car. But
1: what the hell did she need a chainsaw for? I mean, sure, hopefully it wasn't what I well, think. Well, what
0: do you think she needed a chainsaw for?
1: Cut up that poor boy? Yes.
0: Now, Fleming also testified that he believed that Mills was under the influence at the time. He said that he received a lot of calls from her that night. She called him... Half a dozen times wanting me to come get her, he said. He explained that he told her no because he doesn't leave his property after dark. So don't borrow my tools and don't ask for a ride after dark. (laughs)
1: Because
0: I ain't coming to get you. Um, He said that she called again around 4 a.m. saying that she needed a ride. It was about 30, 30 minutes to an hour before that that the first... 911 call came in. Now Fleming further testified that he trusted Mills completely. He described her as a very calm and reliable person. Now, yeah. hmm. So here here we have this older veteran. He probably has medication at his house too, right?
1: If I know anything about the VA, yeah.
0: Now Sittler during closing arguments, there was a lot of things brought up during closing arguments. The attorney, prosecuting attorney said if there was ever a case where life without mercy was appropriate, it's this case. This was a savage killing and decapitation. Settler told the jury that Mills was a drug addict who had stolen White's money and pills before texting a friend and saying, let's party. Now, in his closing argument, he also said that people get where they are in life by the choices they make. Mills was a drug addict, but nothing had been heard at trial about whether she had any mental illness. So nothing at all about mental illness. Okay. But I will say that she came to court one day with no tattoos on her chest, and then she came in another day. With a lousy-looking jailhouse tattoo on her chest that said "special kinda k i n d a crazy," special kind of crazy was tattooed like like a kindergartner wrote it on her chest. On her chest. On her chest. Yes. Al. She must have got that in jail somehow. Right. Yeah,
1: because she was being held at this time, so yes. it was a, a straight jailhouse tattoo, it, and it's not like they have professional machines in there.
0: Right. Now, he also spoke about the um, defense's theory. Now, the defense was trying to paint Bo White, Bo White's dad, Jimmy, as the bad guy, You're the one who murdered your son. Well, he wasn't a great guy. Right. The prosecutor spoke about the defense's theory about Bo White's father, Jimmy White, was supposedly the person who killed him. Mills had known Jimmy White since 1995 when he was a drunk truck driver, probably a drunk truck driver. Um, And he says, is Jimmy White as clean and pure as a driven snow? He said, no, he's a flawed man. Was Jimmy White complicit in his son's death? He says he was possibly involved. The prosecution did acknowledge it could have happened but there was absolutely no evidence of him being there. What is evident is that Jimmy White was responsible for bringing this woman into Bo White's life. 100%. He also outlined other evidence and testimony. So he had a summary of the cell phone traffic obtained from Bo White's cell phone, which was found on his decapitated body. It showed that the last message Mills sent to him was about 10.35 p.m. March 31st, 2018. And the message, she said, I'm trying to get my things. Give me a few minutes. So he was expecting her to come over. Now, why Mills was visiting Bo White was not had not been determined. But um, the prosecutor said that trading pills for sexual favors was one possibility. He said that happened a lot at Southern Exposure, where the strippers would, you know, pr- give sex for drugs.
1: Right. It probably happens a lot. Again, in a lot of places. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Anywhere in the United States, right? Yes. Um, he again described Bo White as an awkward, sickly shut-in who didn't have a real life. And I don't know, again, how true that is. Gosh. I don't know if I believe that or not, but... Well, I is mean, his
1: mother okay with him describing her son this way?
0: Well, I don't know. The mother was a, was there for the entire proceeding, so... Uh,
1: she was not? She was. Oh, okay. Yes, she
0: was there every day, if that's mentioned in a minute. But, um, the prosecutor said his father had introduced him to a manipulative woman She knew Bo had a pocket full of pills and a pocket full of cash. He also said that during Friday's interview, Jimmy White may have been more involved than he would admit. Now, this is during an interview after the trial. Sorry. Prosecutor said that, yeah, sure, Jimmy White could have been involved more than he would admit. But the evidence overwhelmingly incriminates Mills.
1: Yes. I mean, all of those things. Just, you know, the first things you rattled off in the beginning. Right. And then, you know, as the story progresses, she's not getting away from this at all
0: right she's definitely involved so back to Fleming um, again in closing argument he's bringing up Joe Fleming the the Navy veteran about the gasoline and chainsaw now the prosecutor says yeah she knew he was a veteran and had seen situations that were beyond her experience and that she wanted him to come and help her dispose of and get rid of the body she figured now i don't know if there's any any truth to this but this was brought up at the trial
1: well she might have thought that but he clearly wasn't leaving his property that's wasn't giving her his stuff right so she can think that all freaking day long but she didn't know her friend very well
0: right so he's the prosecutor says when bo white was lying on the floor of his home Mills realized there was a body that needed to be be disposed of. Mills texted people from midnight to about 4.30 a.m. trying to get people like Joe Fleming to help her. When Fleming would not let her borrow his chainsaw, the only tools she had on hand were cheap kitchen knives.
1: She hacked at this poor boy. Man.
0: Now, he compared the task of severing Beau White's head with cutting up a chicken, saying all that flesh and bone is hard to cut with a good knife. Five cheaply made kitchen steak knives were presented to the jury as evidence, one of which was found in Mills' car at the scene where Bo White's headless body was found. The knives were bent and bloody. They were not destined for that job, is what the prosecutor said.
1: Jesus loves me. They actually compared him to to a chicken?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Uh, I don't even know what to say.
0: He also says that Mills had, a, that Fleming testified that Mills had a cut on her hand, when she came to get him, asked about the chainsaw. He said maybe she got started, decided it was too much work. It hurt. He, she cut herself. And that's when she went to get the chainsaw. She couldn't get it and had to go back and use the knives.
1: Okay, so she didn't have blood. She wasn't all bloody, obviously. Uh, yeah. I, she visited her friend.
0: Well, Fleming? She, she had blood on. She had a cut. So that might have been, if she did have blood, he might have just you know, put into account of that. Right. Now, according to the Telegraph, with which is um, another newspaper article I found, Jimmy White first met Mills while she was working at a well-known, and I already said that. They later became um, lovers. And in the testimony, Jimmy White acknowledged that he and his son had had a falling out because of his son trying to sleep with Mills. Now, the defense also pointed to, to the fact that Jimmy White had admitted to being at his son's home looking for pills after his son had been killed and didn't call police. Jimmy White told the court he thought it was an April Fool's prank and what he found, he found what appeared to be a headless body on the floor of his son's home. Defense attorneys also questioned the presence of hairs found in Bo White's hand during the autopsy. So they did find some hairs in his hand that were never sent off for DNA. Of course they weren't. Right?
1: You know, God forbid. Now
0: those hairs had not been initially sent for analysis. The prosecuting attorney said the autopsy report was released eight months after it was completed and that their hairs have since been sent to be analyzed. He says if that hair contains DNA from someone other than Rowena Mills, then we'll prosecute another suspect for involvement. He said the hairs, no matter who they belong to, does not exonerate her.
1: No, not at all. Not with all that evidence that they have on
0: her now the defense in their closing argument urged mills mills's jurors to find her not guilty he uh, bell tried to convince them that she was not strong enough to take the head off the victim like we talked about earlier he stated that there was zero evidence of mills and Bo white having a problem between them the only problem occurred when james white who had sexual relations with mills for years got angry when Bo started having a relationship with her bell then said that mills was invited to Bo white's home that night and then James White also called that night and had a brief conversation with his son who was murdered shortly thereafter.
1: So they're really trying to pin it on the dad. They are.
0: And they're trying to at least create reasonable but reasonable, reasonable doubt, doubt. right? Yep. Our theory is that Jimmy White was jealous of her relationship with Bo, and Jimmy White is a terrible person. In this theory, James White called about 1051 found Mills and his son together, and murdered his son in a jealous rage. Mills was shaken by the experience, so she left the home. Now, the autopsy report showed that Bo White had died in a violent attack, which included blows and stab wounds, which required a lot of strength to inflict. Bell said he had seen such cases both as a defense attorney and a prosecutor, and as an old prosecutor, he said that they call that a crime of passion. Someone with a lot of strength and a lot of rage had to kill this man. Now Mills's car was found in Bo White's driveway. Sure, it was in his driveway, but she got agitated and had blood and injuries on her when she was found, which were not her blood, which was not her blood, but White's. So does she
1: give her account of what happened?
0: She did not testify, no.
1: Okay. She, and she didn't tell the police anything?
0: Not that I saw, No. She probably said she probably it wouldn't me. She you know she contacted an attorney pretty quickly. Right, I so mean, this woman's up. been around the block with with law.
1: Yeah, she knew to be quiet.
0: Right now, only three months ago in December tw- uh, two thousand nineteen, after less than two hours of deliberation, a jury found Gill's um, Mills guilty of first degree murder. In January 2020, only about two weeks ago, she was sentenced to life in prison without mercy, which means that she will never be eligible for parole. So in West Virginia, you can get life with mercy, which means that after 15 years, you're eligible for parole, or you get life without mercy, which means that you are in there till you die.
1: It's kind of like, Virginia's that way too, right? Yes. Okay. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. The prosecuting attorney said after the verdict, she savors what she's done. She revels in it. She thinks it's the greatest achievement of her life. And I think that's what affected the jury. So the jury was probably, he says the jury was affected by her demeanor.
1: But yes, she's not
0: remorseful at all.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. You got to show remorse mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, or fake it. Yeah. I mean, if you want to not be in jail for the rest of your life
0: right and in some of the pictures that you know you know pictures are sometimes deceiving because they're taken out of context mm, but true and in a couple of her pictures she's smiling and laughing and you know who knows I mean, why someone could have
1: told a joke right you know and she's still human and then they tell you they tell them not to show emotion right Either way, but it, okay, so if I went to court for something that said, don't show any emotion, do you know how hard that must be? I, to not, I don't I mean, think
0: that it's possible to not show any emotion unless you're a psychopath or sociopath or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't see how people, yeah.
0: Anyway, she, the prosecuting attorney continued to say she never showed any remorse or any regret. It was a horrible crime and the mother of the victim had been present throughout the whole ordeal and she was as satisfied as she could be by the result. Of course, you know, it's not going to bring her son back. No. Um, I don't know if there's not a death penalty in, in West Virginia, but this was the, the outcome, the outcome. It was the toughest, I guess, penalty you could get besides death. Are you going to look that up to see if they? Have, okay, she's going to look up to see if Virginia has a death penalty. West Virginia, I'm sorry. Mills was fueled by meth, Sittler um, claimed. He said that she, when she went to White's home in Lerona on Easter Sunday, she was seeking drugs and money. He said that there was evidence that indicated that she had had abused methamphetamine on her way there. So while this would have been a run-of-the-mill drug robbery, because that's a huge thing in West Virginia. So this prosecuting attorney is also kind of trying to clean up the area. And he says that uh, she was unhinged by the drug. And that's what resulted in the brutal slaying and decapitation of this young man.
1: right. I'm showing here that capital punishment has been abolished in the U.S. state of West Virginia since 1965.
0: Okay, so that's she got the harshest penalty that you could get. Sittler is looking to West Virginia's legislature to increase penalties for meth distribution as a way to possibly stem the meth epidemic that continues in southern West Virginia. He said there's no question that this insidious drug is causing violent and unpredictable behavior. He says that the the, the Virginia woman sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for the 2018 murder of Bo White was another example of the horrible behavior that methamphetamine abuse can cause. That's what methan around will get you. That's right. But it wasn't just meth. It was just anything they could get their hands on. Like that subculture that they, I and I read about it in many articles that that subculture that's, in that area, West Virginia, Mm -hmm. and not just that area, West Virginia, but other places as well, was rampant. Now, he has been backing legislation set to be introduced during the 2020 session that would raise sentences for meth distribution from the current one one to five years to a possible three to 15 years. And I told you at the beginning that I was going to come back to why I kind of picked this murder. I don't know. Just the fact that somebody could chop someone's head off and the force and strength that it takes, as we heard from the the caller earlier. I noticed some similarities immediately between Beau White and Tiffany Saborn.
1: Yeah, right? absolutely.
0: I mean, they were both young. Tiffany was very young. She was 13, but Beau was only 29. They were both young and they were both vulnerable. I mean, Tiffany, she's a child. Right. Um, Beau, he was disabled and, you know, he... Probably lacked friends who would come and hang out with him or whatever. So they both have true that form. True friends. Right? Yeah. I know that he was very close to to his sisters and his family. But, you know, I mean, he's a man. Right. Men want to have sex or whatever. You know, he's he's just vulnerable to people who are going to prey on him. Right.
1: And especially, let's say he's thin. He's sickly. He's a shut-in. Let's just say all those things are true. He's not getting that affection from girls, most likely. So how else is he going to get that attention well, maybe he noticed that some of these women were a little loose with their morals, especially if he threw him a couple of pills that maybe he wasn't going to take. And that was like, you know, it was a trade off for him because then he could get that affection that he wasn't getting elsewhere. Yes. I mean, it's a different kind of affection, obviously.
0: Definitely. Um, both of them were done in by people that they considered friends. I mean, Tiffany Sabourin knew the guy that killed her. And I can't even remember the guy's name. No big deal on my part. But... Um, she did consider him a friend enough to go hang out with him. Uh, both of them were killed in a grisly, bloody rage. And both were profan- profanely treated after death. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of there similarities there. So, yeah. Anyway, I wanted to thank our caller for reaching out to us and answering our questions. And I'm not going to say her name because I don't know if she wants us to say her name. But thank you. We can see, um, I can definitely see that you were also affected deeply by Tiffany's murder. So, again, thanks for um, your part in putting away the deviant who did that. And thanks for calling in. So that's it. That's all we have for today, guys. Um, Thank
1: you, Mercedes.
0: Yeah, thanks. And thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you were just intrigued by this week's murder as we were. We appreciate sharing uh, sharing our passion with you. We thank you for your support. And if you'd like to support us even further, you can subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. While you're there, give us a comment about absolutely anything. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success and help push us up the charts. So you can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Also, be like our caller and call us if you know anything about this murder.
1: We are so grateful to spend our time together and share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for listening to us and supporting us and not thinking we are weird for our obsession. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters. They are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash pod. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it, it wasn't, wasn't me. me.